0: Gonzaga's lack of depth in the backcourt and inconsistent outside shooting ended a 16 game winning streak over the Pac 12 and gave Washington their first win over the Zags since 2005. It sucks. Let's talk about it. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates on all things Zag athletics. Today's episode of Locked On Zags is brought to you by Prize Folks, go to prizepickscom Locked On College. Use that promo code Locked On College. You'll get a first deposit match of up to $100. Prize Picks, it's daily fantasy sports made easy. Happy Monday, folks. Happy Sunday to those of you listening to the YouTube edition of this show, released a day early because we all need it. We need a little bit of, uh, I guess, therapy here, sports talk therapy, whatever it may be. Tough, tough loss for Gonzaga Saturday, late, late night, 8 p.m. start on the West Coast uh, against the Washington Huskies, uh, 78-73 Final score for the Zags. First time losing to the University of Washington since 2005 when Adam Morrison was playing for the Zags. Of course, Brandon Roy playing for the Huskies. Tremendous teams back in those days. We're going to talk about this game. We're also going to talk about Monday's game against Mississippi Valley State. Uh, Preview that matchup, what we're going to be looking for in that one. That is the literal worst Division I team in college basketball. So hopefully the Zags can find some ways to right the ship there. We'll also close out the show uh, with some mailbag questions. It is a Monday episode after all. Only got a few mailbag questions, and if you submitted one, didn't see it answered, uh, we will attempt to get it to it either a future episode this week or a future mailbag episode. All right, so let's talk about what happened on Saturday night. I know most of you were watching. I know some of you were not watching because of the lateness of the game and you saw that final score and kind of want to figure out what happened. So we'll do our best here to to recap some of that stuff, talk the good and the bad from that game. But effectively the reason that this game is tough to pin down i believe two things are true thing number 1 washington is a good team this is not a horrendous loss in from the computer metrics perspective from the resume perspective from that perspective it's never fun to lose to a rival it's never fun to lose to an in-state rival. It is never fun to lose to the Huskies. We know all of that. So I'm not saying this is a good loss in any of those senses. But this is not the same bad Washington team we've seen the last couple of years. This program is good. Frank Capnong looked incredible. I've watched UW three or four times this year. This is the best they have played, hands down. They went out. They played. They defended their home floor. They won a game against a good team. I think a lot of that can be true, while also the, the flip side of this is it's not like we don't know Gonzaga's flaws. We know their flaws. We know the things that they struggle with. We know the inconsistencies they have uh, in outside shooting. We know the lack of depth in the backcourt in particular. We know that foul trouble has been an issue for Gonzaga this season so far. And all of those things happen in this game. And it's frustrating to lose basketball games when your weaknesses are just laid bare for everybody to see. And that's what happened in this game. Everybody knows Gonzaga struggles in the second half. Everybody knows Gonzaga struggles with the outside shot. Everybody knows that the, the perimeter scoring from, uh, from you know from guys like Dusty Stromer has been inconsistent. That the backcourt has had to play forty plus minutes a game. Like these are all known things, and Gonzaga hasn't been able to fix them. We're still early in the year, and some of these things are, are difficult. You can't add players in the middle of a season, so so fixing depth is a hard thing to do. But watching Gonzaga succumb to the same issues they have had, even in their wins. This year, the same issues they had against Purdue, the same issues they had that caused, you know, the game against UCLA to be close, the same issues they had uh, when USC started kind of creeping back into that game, the same issues they had in the first half against Syracuse. Like these things have been issues all year long. They were issues even even as Bakersfield, we kind of throw that game out because there was a flu bug going around. But like these issues haven't gone away. And it finally caught up with Gonzaga in a way that, that caused them to lose a game that they shouldn't have lost. I, I credited UW at the beginning, and I will continue to credit them. They're a better team than people give them credit for. This is a quad one loss. It's not terrible for Gonzaga, but it's frustrating to lose to a team you are not as or that, that, that is not as good as you talent-wise because they were able to exploit weaknesses that anybody can see. That is really hard to deal with. Gonzaga got outscored 36 to 25 in the second half. They scored 25 points in the second half of this game, 25 points. That's it. This is our first time going on the road, playing a true road game. Dusty Stromer's first true road game. Braden Huff's first true road game. Jun Sakyo's first true road game. For the most part, it showed. Yo had a good game. We'll talk about that in a bit. But for the most part, it showed. And that that to me is okay as well. Because you need to be able to win on the road. You need to have that experience. Experiencing a loss on the road, experiencing a rivalry loss, is good for you as a basketball player. It is good for you as a team. I am choosing to believe that as an optimistic person, that this is going to help Gonzaga long-term. Let's talk about the bad things we saw in this game. We usually do good, then bad. We're going to start with bad. Gonzaga didn't make a three in the second half. Not a single one. Five of 18 for the game from deep. 28% from three made all their threes in the first half. Did not make a single one in the second half. That happened against Purdue. Happened again here against Washington. Team only shot 42.5% from the floor in the entire game. Again, much, much worse in the second half. Basically, the bad offense wasn't good. Fatigue is obviously an issue. Mark Few needs to figure this out. They need to figure out how they're going to deal with this fatigue issue from their guards. We've been saying it from the first game of the season. Ryan Nembhard cannot play 40 minutes every game. He can't. He can't. And here he he did. He played all 40. So did uh, Ryan Nembhard. Or excuse me, so did Nolan Hickman. So did Anton Watson. All those guys played 40 minutes. Ryan Nembhard made key mistakes down the stretch. He got a little lazy on his drives, put his, put his arm out, committed foul. That happens when you're tired. He made bad passes, turned the ball over. Nolan Hickman turned the ball over at the very end of the game. Things they weren't doing earlier in the game. They were tired. These guys are gassed. We need more help in the backcourt. I get it. It's not NBA free agency. You can't just go sign a dude off the street and bring him onto your roster. You can't do that. But they need to figure something out because this is not working. These guys cannot play 40 minutes a game. They can't. We can tell. They slowed down in the USC game, but Ben Gregg and Braden Huff came off the bench, bailed him out. That can't be the answer. Anton Watson bailed him out against UCLA by scoring, not missing, only missing one shot in the entire game. You can't rely on that either. This is the solution. There's, there's not an obvious solution, but they need to find one. They need to find one. The bad, continuing on the bad, the officials weren't great, but look, that's not what cost them the game. Fouls piled up in the first half. Some of them, questionable calls, some of them because our young guys need to learn how to not foul. Dusty Stromer commits dumb fouls sometimes. Braden Huff, he played four minutes. He played four minutes because he committed three fouls. Yeah, you could say maybe he deserved to be playing more, but it's not Graham E.K. and Anton Watson weren't the problem. Watson shot four of 12, but he also had 13 boards, 13 points, and five steals. He played great. Ben Gregg played great. Braden Huff, three fouls in four minutes. You know, he's not the reason they lost the game, but you need you need your young guys to be able to avoid that. Dusty Stromer picked up four fouls in this one. These guys need to be able to, to learn from those mistakes. They're freshman mistakes. It happens. But getting in foul trouble early in this game cost Gonzaga in a big way. I'll pick on Dusty Stromer a little bit more. He's being asked to do too much, and that's not his fault. That's the, the unfortunate reality of the situation with Steele Venters' injury. Dusty Stromer played 28 minutes in this game. He went 0-4 from the field, 0-3 from three. He had multiple really crucial opportunities to hit a three that would give Gonzaga a a bit of a cushion that would put them back in the game. These were like crowded silencing three-point attempts that he just didn't knock down. For those of you listening to the 2016-17 episode uh, back on Thursday, kind of comparing this team to that team, we said Stromer was like Silas Melson. In 2017, if Silas Melson went 0-4 from three, three, that wasn't going to kill Gonzaga. It does this year because they asked him to do more because of Steele Ventures' injury. That's the frustrating part. It's not his fault, but they need more from him, and they're not getting it right now. Some good things before we close out this segment and close the door on the Washington game, at least for now. up turned the ball over 19 times. Zach's had nine steals in this game. Watson had five of them. Phenomenal stuff from Anton Watson, the defensive end of the floor. Zach also shot 16 of 20 from the free throw line. That's 80%. Really good stuff from the free throw line for them in this team. Helped keep them in the game in a big way. Nolan Hickman, shout out to him. Best first half we've seen from him in a long time. One of the best games, period. He just didn't show up in the second half because of those fatigue issues. 17 points, almost all of them came in the first half. Making tough shots, back-to-back threes early in the game. Uh, Little floaters that looked phenomenal. Loves to use the backboard on those. Really good stuff from him. And I mentioned Ben Gregg already. Uh, 11 points, three or four shooting off the bench another phenomenal he's doing the same thing he did last year late november early december starts to really establish himself as that third big as that kind of valuable energy defense uh, outside shooting guy coming off the bench he's doing that again this year and then shout out jun suck yo nine minutes in this game two two points on two of three shooting from the free throw line he got fouled on a three-point attempt Uh, he had a rebound a bore an assist and a block i thought he gave the zags some valuable minutes when they needed him and we're going to talk more about Yo and what he could potentially give the Zags uh, and 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 more about this game coming up on Monday. The Zags have got a tune-up game against quite literally the worst Division I team in college hoops. We're going to turn our attention to that, flush the Huskies for now. We'll come back to this game later in the week. we got more on this Mississippi Valley State game all coming up after a word from today's sponsor, eBay Motors. Passion, drive, and patience, that's what brings home the winning trophy, and it's also what helps keep your ride or die alive. And eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and to level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more, whether you are into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. And with over 122 million parts to choose from for your ride or die, you will always find exactly what you are looking for. Plus, with eBay's guaranteed fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your car every time or you get your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices that you want, it is easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home the trophy. Keep your rider dive alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply, and eBay's guaranteed fit is only available to U.S. customers. Now, folks, I want to thank all of you for making Locked on Zags your first listen or your first watch of the day, especially coming off, off of a loss like that. I'll be back later this week with more coverage of this game, what it did for Gonzaga in the AP poll. When we get there, we'll talk women's basketball. They got a little bit of a break right now, but they're having a great season. We got all that. And of course, some previews of that big game on Friday against UConn coming up later this week here on the Locked on Zags podcast. For now, I want to push aside the UW game and preview Gonzaga's Monday night opponent, the Delta Devils of Mississippi Valley State. Two-day turnaround for Gonzaga, which is tough after the amount of minutes that those guards played. This game will be Monday, December 11th. It is at 6 p.m. in the McCarthy Athletic Center, as has been the case with previous games against Arkansas Pine Bluff and Cal State Bakersfield. This game will be on ESPN Plus for those out of market. It will be on Root or KHQ for those in the Spokane market as well as the Seattle Portland area market again. If you guys want some help finding out how to watch the game, join us on our Discord channel. It is free, it is in your show notes. You can click there and hang out with us all game long. So let's talk about these Delta Devils of Mississippi Valley State, the second of three SWAC opponents the Zags are going to play this year. They played Arc Pine Bluff last Tuesday, and then they're playing Jackson State on the 20th of December. Again, these are games against schools that are historically black colleges and universities. It is an opportunity for Gonzaga to pay these schools to fly out to Spokane and play them uh, at the Kennel. Uh, Those schools get extra money from it, able to fund their athletic department. Uh, It's a win-win situation for them. I know people would rather see Gonzaga play, you know, more regional schools, Idaho, Idaho State, Montana, etc. But this is kind of a cool opportunity for, for Gonzaga to help support these schools that need it and for uh, these schools to get an opportunity to come out to Spokane and, and play some good basketball teams. So uh, Mississippi Valley State has been doing that. They've been kind of taking the, a lot of schools in this conference to that. Texas, Texas Southern has kind of gotten the most attention for it. but they basically go out and play a bunch of road games and lose. And Mississippi Valley State is losing with the best of them. <laughs> they are 0 and 9 on the year. No, not a single win. A Only one game within 30 points. Literally eight of their nine losses have been by 30 or more points. The only team that they played remotely close this year was, drumroll, Pacific. Perhaps the biggest dropper in all of college basketball in terms of preseason expectations and where they are now. Pacific's one of the worst Division One teams in the country. They have been very, very bad this year. I know we talk about the WCC a lot on our Discord channel, and there's a lot of uh, consternation about the strength of the conference. I'm just going to say this right now. Just don't worry about how Pacific's doing. Gonzaga's not going to get dropped a seed line because Pacific is bad. It's just, it's not a worthwhile thing to worry about. Sam, Samary's being bad. Yeah, that's problematic. Shout out to them for that win over Colorado State, though. That's big for them. Santa Clara, San Francisco. Yeah, it matters a little bit more. Pacific, just, it just doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. Anyway, Mississippi Valley State, their losses. Uh, again, primarily good teams here. They've lost to LSU, Oklahoma, Yukon, TCU, Santa Clara, Cal State, Northridge, Pacific, again by three, North Texas, and Liberty. Uh, basically all Division One, or excuse me, all Power Six programs uh, or good mid-major teams, the exceptions being. Northridge and Pacific, Uh, everybody else, pretty quality teams still going 0 and 9 against that schedule, losing by 30 plus points in eight of those nine games has resulted in Mississippi Valley State being dead last at Ken Palm, 362nd ranked team in division one college basketball. That is the very bottom. According to Ken Palm's adjusted offensive efficiency, they are also dead last 362nd. They're a little better defensively, I guess, uh, if you want to call it that 355th uh tempo wise 331st this team is slow they don't push the pace they don't defend well they don't score well there's just not a lot to like about this team Uh, if we're being perfectly honest their leading scorer Raekwon Brown 15.3 points four and a half boards per game as a unit this team is shooting about 28 percent from three they also turn the ball over about 16 times per game They're bad. They're just not a good team. This is a good opportunity for Gonzaga to work on some stuff, try some new things, uh, and give some guys some breaks, which is what I want to talk about here. My five things I'll be watching for in this game. I want to see more of the lineup with Jun Sukyo at the three and Dusty Stromer playing the two, and then either one of Nolan Hickman or Ryan Nemhard on the bench while the other plays the one. This, to me, is the more obvious solution for Gonzaga right now to get those guards a break. We'll talk about Luka Krinovich momentarily. He still factors into this equation in a significant way, but it is clear to me, the way that Mark Few is playing his lineups, that Yo is viewed as a player who can contribute on this roster right now more immediately than Krinovich. If that is the case, they need to figure out a way to put him in the lineup where it also gives Nemhard and Hickman a break. Because if he's playing the three and giving Dusty a break, that's great, and that's valuable, and it's necessary they need to get those guards off the floor. Dusty playing the two, Yo play in the three. That feels like the way to do it. Yo has been getting more comfortable, particularly on the defensive end of the floor. He gave Gonzaga good minutes against Washington. That was really valuable and important to see. He's still finding his role offensively. I think that's fine. I think it's understandable that he's a little slower there, uh, just in terms of picking it up in, in game situations. But it feels like he's ahead of Krinovich in terms of the team's perceived kind of depth chart and who's ready to help them right now and if that's the case get him on the floor find a way to make sure that the minutes he's playing are minutes that either Nembhardt or Hickman are not playing because later in the season when those guys have played 40 minutes five six seven games in a row or whatever we need to be able to get them off the floor and this seems like a way to do it key number two same thing lots of Luka Krinovich. no reason he shouldn't play big minutes in this game I feel like a broken record because I keep bringing it up, and it's not even – I do like Luca, and I like what he's able to do, and I want to see him develop and grow. I don't want to say, like, I'm not excited about that, but he needs more minutes for a specific reason, which is that the other guys need less minutes. (laughs) It's really as simple as that. Play Krinovich minutes so that Ryan Nembhard is not playing, so that Nolan Hickman is not playing, so that those guys get a little bit more rest between now and Friday when they take on the Huskies of UConn, the defending national champions in Seattle. Those guys need to be 100%. And if that means playing 15 or 20 minutes against Mississippi Valley State, a team that they should beat handily without them, then so be it. And if that means Kronovich gets to develop and grow and learn more about the system, more about the offense, more about what's asked of him by this team, if that gets him more ready to play in February, in January, maybe even in March, it's a win-win. All the better. Next up, let's let's see if we can get a bounce back from Braden Huff. We have pretty much every time. Pretty much every time Braden Huff comes back home, playing a team that's not very good, he dominates. He's putting up 18, 20 points per game off the bench in those types of situations. When we get away from the McCarthy Athletic Center, when we're playing teams that are not in the bottom 50 at Ken Palm, we tend to not see that from, from Huff. The USC game is an exception. He played well in that contest. He also missed some bunnies around the rim. Wasn't his strongest performance by any stretch, but he played capably. Didn't do anything against Washington. The first real just clunker of his career in a sense. There's no reason to expect he won't dominate in this game. They have like one guy over 6'9", who plays more than three minutes per game. This should be a game that Braden Huff and Graham E.K. can just go to absolute work. But it would be nice for Huff to build his confidence before the UConn game, where I think they're going to need him coming off the bench. Again, foul trouble might be an issue there. UConn's got a lot of depth in the front court. Huff's going to be a valuable part of that. So build up some of that confidence with a strong game here uh, against the Delta Devils and potentially be able to carry that into a non-home game next week. A couple more things. I'd like to see Gonzaga work on the zone defense. We didn't really talk about it much in that first segment, but Gonzaga ran a zone on the last couple of minutes of the first half against Washington, really slowed them down. I think it was a surprise factor. I don't think Hopkins and UW had prepared for Gonzaga to run a zone at all because they almost never do. But I'd like to see Gonzaga have that in the bank more later this year for a couple of reasons. One, the element of surprise, it works. It slows teams down, teams that use dribble penetration the way that UW like to do, slow them down, force them to not be able to do that, have to do something different, force them to shoot over the zone. Beyond that, it's also a, a defense you can run that doesn't wear out your guards. The trap Offense or the trap defense, the half court trap, the three quarter court trap that they run. I don't think it's going to be able to run that as much this year because they don't have the the depth in the backcourt. You're just wearing out your guards in situations where you, you don't have you don't have insurance behind them. Zone defense. It's not easy. I, I'm not trying to claim that it's easy, but it is less physically demanding to run a zone than it is to run a a man defense or certainly those traps or anything like that, have the zone in the bag, work on it in a game like this, be prepared to use it so that you can maybe give your guards a bit of a break and maybe give the opposing team a little bit different look from you defensively. And then last, always a key in these games or always something we're watching for. Let's see some walk-on minutes. Let's see some more of Pavle Stosic. Uh, We saw a little bit of him in that game against uh, Arcpine Bluff last week. He didn't look particularly good, but he's very raw, very just, Hasn't played a lot of basketball at this level. Has played very little basketball at this level. I don't think he's going to redshirt at this point. Uh, it does not seem that is the case for Gonzaga. He still could, in theory, even if he plays in this game, he still could. But I, I would like to see more of Pavley. Get him some opportunities. They don't really need him this year as more of a big man unless they think he's capable of playing the three, which I don't think is the case, but we'd still like to see him get some more experience. And of course, always love getting a chance to see Joe Few and Colby Brooks out on the floor doing some work. Hopefully they'll get, again, good run in the second half, not just to see them on the floor, but because it means we're not seeing Ryan Nemhard and Nolan Hickman on the floor as well. We're going to close out the show answering a couple of mailbag questions here. It is Monday after all. Uh, we're going to get to all that after a word from today's sponsor, Prize Picks. Folks, I've been testing my skills on Prize Picks this season, and it is the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Prize Picks is really, really simple to play. I can make my picks and submit my entry in less than 60 seconds. There's quick withdrawals, easy gameplay, and an enormous selection of players and stat types, which is what makes Prize Picks the number one DFS app. It's just you against the numbers. All you do is pick more or less on two to six player stat projections, and then you watch the winnings roll in. DeMontis Sabonis on Monday, 17.5 points against the Nets on Monday. I'm going more. More points for Domas. He's averaging about 20. I think he's going to hit the more there. So I'm suggest I'm taking that. I'm suggesting you do too. If you're interested, go to prizepicks.com slash college. Use that promo code college for a first deposit match up to $100. Again, that's pricepicks.com slash college. Use promo code College for a first deposit match of up to $100. PricePicks, it's daily fantasy sports made easy. All right, closing episode today with a trio of mailbag questions. Again, if you asked a question, didn't get answered in the show, we'll bring it back. Next week or later this week, depending on the question. This first one here comes from Austin via the Discord channel. Austin says, "A loss is a loss. Losses are not fun, but I'm not sure this will be considered a bad loss come March. What are your thoughts? And do you think this loss tells us more about Gonzaga's possible flaws or how good U Dub is?" Yeah, Austin kind of answered some of this a little bit in that first segment already, but it is a quad one loss. It's likely going to remain a quad one loss. Could be far worse. Could be far, far worse. Lots of ranked teams have lost to teams much, much worse than the University of Washington this year. Uh, I will say the Zechton are not in as sturdy of a spot because of the weak WCC. Uh, Any loss for Gonzaga Hurts. It's not 2014 anymore where like any loss period hurts, where it's a lot, it's a lot more difficult for Gonzaga. They get the benefit of the doubt. Uh, Their, you know, preseason or their strength of schedule is much better than it used to be 10 years ago. So they're not in as bad of a spot, but the WCC has taken a bit of a hit. So they're not going to get as many opportunities to kind of uh, rebuild some value once conference play begins. Uh, I think the Zags probably need to go Win two out of three against UConn, San Diego State, and Kentucky. That's not going to be easy to do. Uh, and if they go 15-1 and one in WCC play, they're going to be fine. They're going to be fine. This is not that bad of a loss for you. UW's not a bad loss this year. It's just not. Uh, and, and, again, Kepnog was fantastic. The Huskies looked really good. I, I think this is a quality program here. Uh, but, again, it 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 tells us how good UW is. I think it's both, to answer the second part of the question. Does it tell us more about Gonzaga's flaws or how good UW is? Yes. I know that's a cop-out answer, but UW is good. They played the best game of their season so far in order to beat Gonzaga. But again, Gonzaga's flaws were well-known coming into the game, and UW exploited them. I don't think it's good that other teams can now see that, oh, Gonzaga can't really shoot, and they wear down in the second half, and if you get hot at the right time, you can beat them kind of thing. Like Gonzaga's flaws have been known since before the season even started, since the Steel Venters injury, uh, and they're, they haven't really changed. And, and so, so it's still not a good situation for Gonzaga to be in right now. Another question here from Austin. Austin says Nembhard has been getting a bit of hate. I don't think it is warranted. Yes, he has made some mistakes, but he's still new to this program, and his upside I think is higher than people give him credit for. What are your thoughts? Yeah, it's a tradition. It's a Gonzaga tradition to just hate the point guard. I think other fan bases do this too. I don't think it's specifically unique to Gonzaga, but it's just it's a part of the deal. There's just a certain segment of the fan base. They hated Josh Perkins. They hated Nolan Hickman. They don't like Ryan Nembhard. Uh, they, just, they just hate the current point guard. It's easy to see the point guard's mistakes because they have the ball in their hands so much. It's easy to see when they make mistakes. And I want to be clear, Ryan Nemhart on Saturday evening against UW made mistakes. He also had, I think 12 points and seven assists. He really didn't. I saw somebody in the discord was like, Oh, it feels like he misses all the shots at a point when he was literally four or six in the game. Like people are real nitpicky about Ryan Nemhart. That's just part of the deal of being Gonzaga's point guard. You get nitpicked beyond that. Ryan came in with really high expectations because he was the younger brother of one of Gonzaga's best recent point guards in Andrew Nembhard, because he was the starting point guard for a team that went to the Elite Eight in Creighton last year. He came in with super high expectations and expectations that he would be immediately good, that there would be no ramp-up period, that he would not have to assimilate and adjust. Those were the expectations coming in. They were not fair expectations, but they were the expectations. And I think because he hasn't met those expectations, that is why people are disappointed. He's going to be fine. He's going to need more breaks. We talked a bunch about that on the podcast. I found I sound like a broken record. I know that. For those of you who do listen every single day, you know that this is a really common topic, but it is an important one. Gonzaga's overplaying their guards, and you can see it impacting them on the floor. Hopefully something about that will change, but I also think as Nemhard just gets more familiar with Gonzaga's system, setup, offense, he's going to be completely fine. Final question of the show here comes from Jeff via gmail jeff says what do you make of the ncaa president charlie baker's proposal that could create a rich school subdivision in division one athletics according to the proposal which would allow paying student athletes through an nil trust fund and about two million annual commitment by gonzaga would cover all of their sports except rowing which is about a third of what football teams would have to pay could this lead to gonzaga making a deal with the big 12 or big east even if it only pays them something like five or six million a year in media rights for the first few years yeah i don't so I haven't dug a ton into the rich school subdivision D1 thing. I've read some cursory information about it. I'm, under, I'm familiar with what Charlie Baker is attempting to do here. It's also not law yet. Typically, when the NCAA president makes a proposal, it's probably going to become policy at some point. I guess to answer the second part of the question, I don't think that it changes that for Gonzaga. Gonzaga is going to take a deal with the Big 12 or the Big East for five or six million annually at the beginning if they can that that wasn't that is not something that has changed based on this proposal from Charlie Baker if that makes sense 5 or 6 million at the beginning from the big 12 or the big east with that number escalating as they stay in the conference longer that's still more than they get in the wcc there's no reason they wouldn't take that deal now They want to get out of the WCC. They're concerned about the potential breakoff of power conferences breaking away from the rest of the NCAA. The WCC is weaker this year. There's plenty of reasons for Gonzaga to want to leave the WCC. This particular proposal, I don't think that it is factoring into Gonzaga's current decision-making for a variety of reasons, chief among them being it's not a policy yet. It's just a proposal. Um, But it's not. It's not negatively impacting their decision. It's probably furthering their thought of, "Hey, we want to leave. We want to do this. And if we can truly be a part of this uh, policy and pay our student athletes through an NIL trust fund, and we only have to commit two million annually, and we can get more than that uh, in added, uh, you know, in added funds to our program by joining the Big Twelve or the Big East, then yeah, we're going to do it. So I. I I guess to answer the question, I don't think it's moving the needle all that much, but it certainly makes sense that it would be something Gonzaga would be interested in, particularly if they could get into either the Big 12 or the Big East. That's going to wrap us up for today here on the Locked On Zags podcast. Never fun doing shows after a loss, but I appreciate all of you for sticking it out with me here on Locked On Zags. We'll be back. Uh, reviewing this game against Mississippi Valley State. And then I'm talking some women's basketball and getting into some big previews for that game against UConn at Climate Pledge Arena on Friday evening. Fantastic stuff coming your way right here on the Locked On Zags podcast. Don't forget to make the show your first listen or your first watch of the day. Subscribe, tell your friends to subscribe as well if they like Gonzaga basketball and they like podcasts. It is very much appreciated. Thank you for listening. Until next time, as always, go Zags.